Well, we are in week three of our Lost Book series, and we're going to be talking about some challenging things today as we look at different character aspects of God that are often hard to wrestle with, but, but give us a fuller picture of who he is. And I don't know about you, but last week, the week before, this, this series has been a really good series for me. It's been one where I've been challenged with some things. I think we all have. And so I just want to kind of set the stage that next week, Super Bowl week, Man, we are going to have fun. We are going to have a fun, fun time. How many people have been here for Super Bowl before? Right? Just, just awesome. Just an amazing time. As John Mark said, there are going to be folks outside with like hibachi grills, the whole nine. You do not want to miss Super Bowl. And, you know, just to kind of put a little commentary out there, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, it'd be nice, you know, since I'm going to be in the Super Bowl this year, it would have been nice if I got a bye week. Um, you know, in the bye week, went to Brian Tome. Look, I'll just put it this way. Real players want to be on the field, okay? So I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I'm going to do a, you know, double week. It's cool because real players want to be on the field. But next week, going to be fun. You will not want to miss it. And um, today we're talking about the book of Malachi, one of these lost books. And what we're finding is these books are often overlooked partially because of where they kind of sit in the Bible. They're kind of sandwiched in the middle between kind of the old, old part of the Bible and, and the new part of the Bible. But also, I think sometimes these books are overlooked because the messages can be challenging and difficult. And Malachi is one where we see God coming to his people as a father who was calling out his kids. And he's rebuking them and challenging them on the ways that they've been dishonoring him. And even though that might be difficult to hear, as we start to sit in what God said through the prophet Malachi, I think there's some lessons for us today. But before we go further, I just want to ask that God would teach us in this time. So let's pray. Um, God, your character is bigger than anything that we can understand. And yet you give us these glimpses of yourself in books like Malachi, these obscure books that really teach us more about who you are and how you want us to relate to you. So my prayer today is that you would take my words and you would use them to communicate to everyone in here what it looks like to honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, another thing about these books, they've got these weird names, like we've been saying. You know, Malachi. Last week, Brian talked about Haggai. I mean, have you, I don't know about you, but I don't have any friends who come to me and say, hey, we're having a son, and we've narrowed it down to two names, David and Haggai. I mean, I, I don't know anybody like that. You know, Malachi is one of those names. Quite frankly, I only know one Malachi. And it's actually this weird character in an old horror flick called Children of the Corn. You guys remember that movie? He wants you too, Malachi. He wants you too. Like, it's the only Malachi I've ever heard. And, and, and obviously that movie was weird. It was kind of freaked out. It, it did teach me an important lesson, though. Um, it illustrated yet another situation I probably want to avoid as a black man. Um, I, I probably don't want to have my car break down in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of nowhere. That's probably not the best place for me to be. Um, especially if it's a horror movie, because the black people always die first. <laughs> Just letting you know a little secret, the black people always die first. <laughs> the good news is, though, Barack's going to fix that. <laughs> yes, we can. We can live more than 15 minutes in a horror movie. So um, <laughs> we can have some fun. We can have some fun. Hey, um, but, but, this, but this, this Malachi guy, again, is one of these unpopular prophets that had an unpopular message. And I know that back in his day, people probably wrestled with the words that he had to say. But he gives us a picture of God as Father. I mean, I think that's the big thing I see as a theme in Malachi is we get a sense of God as a Father that's maybe a bit more full 
than what we might have in our own minds before we look at the words in this book. You know, one of the best things in my life is the relationship I get to enjoy with my dad. I got a picture up there of three generations of Mingo men. Um, and, in, and in Nathan's defense, Nathan had just woken up, so I know it looks like he's ready to fight, but he was yawning. Um, <laughs> but my dad will turn 81 this April, and I have just enjoyed the relationship that I've had with him um, for my now 33 years of life. And one of the things I realize about that relationship is it, it's at its best. My relationship with my dad is at its best and most healthy when I am receiving his love. I mean, I grew up on a street where of probably 60 families, only three actually had fathers in the home. And I know that that's not a rarity that many of you in here probably didn't have a father in your life. And I know how difficult that can be when you think about how to relate to God as father. And you know, one of the things I realized, my dad taught me that a relationship is healthy with a father when I receive his love. When I realized that he wants to be at every game and he wants to know what's going on even now in the details of my life. I just receive his love, and that is a healthy place for me to be with my dad. But you know, there's also a place in my relationship with my father for honoring him as well. It's not just about me receiving his love, but also about me honoring him. And that showed up in different ways as I think about my life. When I was a kid, when I was younger at home, um, I grew up in a house that had some very clear guidelines about what I could do and what I couldn't do. Um, take it a step further. I went I grew up in a house that my parents believed in spare the rod, spoil the child. So I, I grew up in a house where discipline was given. It was, it was certain my parents were very grace-giving. It wasn't a super strict household, but, but I had guidelines. And so for me, one of the worst things my mom could say to me at about 2.30 in the afternoon when I had been acting up all day was wait until... Did you grow up in my house? You know about that, right? Wait until your father gets home because my father demanded honor. He, he expected me to honor the boundaries that he and my mom had put in place. And when I didn't, there, was con there were consequences that followed. I had to learn to honor my father. And then I became a teenager. And like most teenagers, I tested every one of those boundaries, every last one. Curfew, you know, use of the car, all that kind of stuff. Always was testing boundaries. And I remember when I was a teenager, it was, it was easier for me to kind of get my mom to bend a little bit on things. You know, I could kind of talk to her a certain way or maybe show her a certain face and, and she might bend a little bit. But dad, mm-mm, wasn't working, wasn't working. You know, my dad was one of those, as long as you're in my house eating my food, I'm paying your water bill and your heat, you're gonna, you're gonna abide by some rules in my house. I mean, that's just the way it was. My dad had me in a situation where I learned what it meant to honor him. And what I realized is what he wanted me to honor him with was best for me, was best for me. And even now, as I'm older and I'm a, a father myself, there's still a place for honoring my father in our relationship. I'm independent, I make my own decisions, but my dad, my dad has 47 more years of life than I do. And I'd be foolish not to lean into his wisdom, not to seek his counsel on things that he's probably experienced before. So what I realize is the best relationship that you can have with a father is one where you are receiving their love, but also one where you're honoring your father. And unfortunately, this is one of the reasons why it's so tough for us to think about God in this way. Because unfortunately, the picture and the images of fathers that many of us have, they've been bad images, they've been broken. But yet the consistent theme we get in the Bible is that God wants us to relate to him as a child relates to a father. Look at how this plays out in 1 John chapter 3. It says this, says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. When we are in relationship with God, when we believe that Jesus paid the price for us to be in relationship and we trust in Jesus, we become children of God. We become children of God. And 
And, I, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who struggled with how do I take my understanding of an earthly father, maybe for many of us that broken understanding or that absent understanding of an earthly father relationship, and then how do I apply that to this invisible, infinite being called God? Like, how does that play out? And what does he expect of me? And that's what we see in the book of Malachi, because unfortunately, in the absence of good examples or even in the absence of just being able to fully grasp this, and understand what God means by relating to him as a father, we wind up with these extreme views of God, especially when it comes to this father thing. On the one hand, we've got this view of God that I'll call like white-haired God. You know, he's this gray beard. He's really nice. You know, he's maybe a little bit off. You know, he comes by twice a year, and sometimes maybe he puts gifts under your pillow. I mean, just kind of this Santa Claus type of image of God. And, and, and so some people, because of maybe things they've heard other people who are, are in a church setting say, they start to see God as kind of this cosmic Santa Claus father. And they say, well, that's what it means to see God as a father. But then on the other extreme, you've got the ogre. You've got the ogre, the God that seems to always be in judgment, the God that always seems to be brooding over his kids, waiting for them to mess up so he can flick them and he can put them back in their place. And these are these extreme views of God as father. And what I realized about these extreme views is if I take God and I try to put his fatherhood in either of these extremes, it's like me taking one snapshot of a 33-year relationship with my own father and saying that defines him. God is... God is not defined by these extremes. And I think what God wants us to see is a more balanced view of how we relate to him as a father. And so we bring that question to this book of Malachi today. That's the question we bring to this book. Because this book was written at a time when the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, his children, had pretty much disregarded God. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they were going through the motions. They still wanted the good things God wanted to give them, but they had pretty much disregarded God in every way possible, through their words, through their actions, through their choices. And so God is a father who recognizes that it can't just be that I give my kids good things, that at some point when they go off the track, I need to discipline them. I need to be a father who calls them out on those things. And so that's what the message is that God gives Malachi. And I think the first words that God speaks through Malachi are very telling about his heart towards his people. Again, wayward people, people who had not done the things that he called them to do. And even still, the first words God says to his people are, I have loved you. I have loved you. God is not this ogre. He's not this ogre brooding over over his kids, waiting for them to mess up so he can destroy them. He's saying, I've loved you. My posture toward you, even in your disregard of me, has been love. My posture toward you, even in your disrespect of me, has been to love you. I I can't help but love you. You're my kids. And then he goes on to talk to his kids, the kids he loves, about the ways that they dishonored him. Look at what it says in verse 6. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. And then he goes on to say the spiritual leaders, the people who should have been modeling this, were the main culprits. He said, it is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? They're kind of doing the kid thing. Like, I don't remember doing that. How did I do that? And he says, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, again, they keep asking these questions, well, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. And then he kind of corners them. You know, when parents get real specific, he really calls them out. This is what he says. 
verse 8, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? He's saying, listen, the things that you're offering to me, these blemished lambs that you're offering to me, you wouldn't even offer them if the mayor of your city came to your house. You'd do better for them. You'd do better for that earthly authority who you don't have relationship with, but just because you recognize they're in a position of authority, you'd do better for them than you're doing for me. You wouldn't offer this to your governor. And then verse 9, he says, Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And then God reveals his heart as a father. He says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. He's saying, I'd rather you shut it down. I'd rather you do nothing than to give me your second best, than to give me your leftovers. And so we live in the balance here of the words of Malachi of a God who starts by saying, I love you. You're my kids. But yet a God who calls out in his kids the ways that they, that they have dishonored him. And so what I want you to hear today is it, God is not at these extremes. God is not at these extremes. He's not this fairy tale Santa Claus God that only wants to give you good things and never calls you to anything higher than where you are right now. And at the same time, he's not this ogre who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can flick you, a balanced view. What I want you to hear and what I think the heart of God is in Malachi is that God simply expects his children to honor him. He expects his children to honor him. That's what he's saying in the book of Malachi. And God has these three specific challenges that he calls out to the people. And while these words were written thousands of years ago, I think they're modern day parallels for each of these three challenges for all of us today. And so let's talk about those and, and, and kind of explore how do we begin to honor God? What does it actually look like to honor him? The first is the one we just read in, in Malachi 1.8, where God says to his people, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Now, I don't know about you, but as someone who still sacrifices animals, don't you hate it when your sheep gets the flu? Just, <laughs> just making sure you're still with me. I'm just kidding. I don't sacrifice animals. Do not call PETA. If you're from PETA, don't throw eggs on me. Don't do that. Um, obviously, that is a culturally current statement for that time. In that time, one of the ways they connected with God is through the sacrificial system. And God called them to bring him their best lambs. He was very specific. Don't bring me sick lambs. Don't bring me blind lambs. Don't bring me crippled lambs. Bring me the best. Because when you interact with me, I want your best. And God's calling out his people for just disregarding that and giving him their second best, and giving him leftovers, and giving him what they wouldn't even give to earthly authorities in the world. God's calling them out on that. Now, obviously for us, we don't do that anymore. God's not challenging his people to sacrifice animals. When Jesus came, one of the things the Bible says is he was the final sacrifice, none other needs to be given. So then how does this play out for us in our day? Well, there's a verse in Romans 12 that says this. It says, therefore, I urge you brothers, this is in the New Testament part of the Bible, after Jesus has come, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, our spiritual act of worship is not sacrificing lambs, but what I would submit to you is, here's what I know. I know that anything that I worship, anyone that I care about, if I'm going to be in relationship with them, they're going to get the best of my time. 
And they're gonna get the best of my energy. If I wanna have a relationship with my dad and I'm not making the conscious effort to call him and update him on things, if I'm not jumping in the car maybe once a year and driving to Philadelphia to go see him and my mom, if I'm not making the effort to create space and holidays where he and my mom come and spend time with my wife and with their grandson, then what kind of relationship do I really have with him? At some point, Anyone that we want to have a relationship with has to get the best of our time and they have to get the best of our energy. And listen, this is what God is saying. God is saying to his people, I want you to honor me with your sacrifices. What that means for us is he's saying, honor me with your life. Honor me with your time. Honor me with your energy. At some point, God's got to have room in our lives. And not because we want to earn his love. This is not about earning God's love, but this is because we want to be in relationship with him. We want to know him. And so for me, one of the things that I have regularly, regularly been challenged with is how to have a consistent time with God, how to have a consistent time set aside to spend time with God. And I've gone through ups and downs on this. You know, recently when we had the baby, just, just found myself really giving God leftovers, really giving him kind of like the one knee prayer at the end of the night that I couldn't even finish because I fell asleep in the middle of it, you know? I mean, just, just really struggling with that. And it's like, all right, listen, at some point, I've got to adjust this because I make time for things I value. We all do. We make time for things we value. So one of the things I've recognized is, you know, I'm a morning person. The morning is my best time. I'm energetic in the morning. And if I get up early enough, I've got a, a window of time in the morning. And so I've just said, all right, God, you know what? I'm going to get back into this discipline of being with you in the morning. And so I spend the first couple hours of my morning with God. And it's not all prayer. It's not all reading the Bible. I probably do about 30 minutes of that. And then I go to the gym. Because one of the things that I've been realizing about myself is another way that I can have a spiritual act of worship before God is just saying, hey, I'm going to take care of the body you've given me. I'm going to be more intentional around that because I want to have energy and strength to do the things that you're calling me to do. So at some point, God's got to get some of my times. The question for me, the question for all of us is, how much of you is God really getting? How much of you is God really getting? Is there some point where God is getting the best of your time, where he's getting the best of your energy? Not because you're trying to earn his love, but because you want to be in relationship with him. How much of you is God really getting? God is challenging us to honor him with our lives. The second challenge that Malachi offers up to the folks comes in the second chapter. And I want to read this to you guys. In Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 13, it says this. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. And I want you to hear these words very carefully. It says, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Not only is God calling us to honor him with our lives, but God is calling us to honor him in our relationships, and specifically in the intimate relationships in our lives. You know, one of the things that has really been discouraging to me is as I spend more time over this last year just connecting with people and, and couples and, and other things, I'm just seeing more and more couples where one spouse or the other is admitting to having an affair, where one spouse or the other is struggling with sexual sins that are violating their marriage covenant. And here's what I know. I know that God loves those people. I love those people. I also know that when that happens, it breaks God's heart. 
It breaks his heart. Because marriage is a covenant that gives us this great picture of the relationship that God wants to have with all of us. And this is what you need to know. If you're in here, if you're in here, this is how this plays out. What this plays out as is the, the texting back and forth with the person at work that seems innocent at first. And you don't think it's going to go anywhere, but you just keep going to it. It's, it's the emotional affair that you're building with someone at work where you start having more conversations with them about what's going on in your life than you're having with your spouse. Or it's going out and actually doing those things that you know are inconsistent with the vow and commitment you've made with your spouse. And here's what you need to know. If you're in here and you're struggling with that, you need to know that there is a real spiritual being named, named Satan. And he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to wreck your family. He wants your kids to grow up in a divorce household. He wants that for you. And what God is saying to his people is, honor me in these relationships. And the way you do that is you guard your heart. You guard your heart because that's how it starts. It's those little things that we think aren't going to go any further that build over time. And then all of a sudden there is a, a, a wreckage and a carnage in the result of that relationship. Guard your heart. And, if, and I know many of you, probably majority, may not be married. And what you need to know is that same Satan is trying to destroy the marriage you haven't even gotten to yet. He's coming for your marriage and you're not even married yet. And the way he does that is by causing you to be loose on the sexual boundaries that you have in your dating relationships or to be unclear with people about where you stand on those things. The emotional connections that start to become painful because there's no boundaries in place. I'm telling you, God is saying, I want you to honor me. God is not saying that because he wants to keep you from pleasure. This whole idea, and this is what the Bible clearly teaches, that sex outside of marriage is not what God has for you. And it's not because he wants to punish you. It's not because he wants to take away your fun. It's because he wants to protect your heart. And God is saying, guard your heart. Guard your spirit. Honor me in these relationships. I'm guessing most people are up at this point. Probably not people falling asleep on that one, right? <laughs> you, can, you can see why Malachi probably wasn't really popular at a bunch of parties in his day. You know, can you imagine him going in? Hey, while you guys refill your drinks, Malachi has a couple things he wants to say to us. I mean, that just probably didn't go over very well. But, but I want you to know that God cares about these things because he's a loving father. And as a loving father, he expects his children to honor him. As a loving father. Now, some of you are like, man, preach on, Chuck. People need to hear this. Keep going. Keep going. And as an old preacher used to say, I'm probably coming down your street next. So we got one more challenge. We got one more, we got one more challenge, and that's in uh, chapter 3. Um, in chapter 3, starting in verse 8, God says this to his people. Crazy question from God. Will a man rob God? It's a crazy question. And he says, yet you have robbed me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You were under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you were robbing me. And then God says to his people, bring the whole tithe. That's 10%. 10% of your income off the top, 10% of whatever it was for them, their produce, their lambs, off the top, going to God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I think this is one of the only times where God actually says, hey, if you don't believe me, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough for it. Not only does God want us to honor him with our lives and honor him in our relationships, but God wants us to honor him with our money. He wants us to honor him with the resources that he's given us. And I'm just going to tell you personally on this one, I know Brian talked last week about how obedience increases the likelihood of abundance. 
And he talked about setting a preset percentage of your resources and your money that you just give away. And for me, I've never really struggled with what that percentage should be. That for me, at least the benchmark should be 10%. Now, in fairness, one of the reasons I didn't struggle with this is because I grew up in a church where we had people who were called trustees. And the trustees took up the offering every week. And one of the trustees was my Uncle Barry, and my Uncle Barry quoted that verse every week. So it was like pinned into my head, got it, okay, 10%. Now, certainly I've struggled with doing that at times in my life, but it was no doubt that that was the, that was the standard for me. So, so that wasn't an issue for me. But you know what my problem was? My problem was I often gave with the wrong motive. And my giving was not motivated from a desire to honor God. It was, it was motivated by a desire to get stuff. Because in so many of the messages that I heard, and when I would hear people talk about this, man, they made this seem like it was God's version of Powerball. I'm serious. It was like, hey, you need to get on this train. This is like Powerball. Like, you give 10%, and then, like, all of a sudden, money will show up in your mailbox. People would tell stories like that. You know, I'm like, well, shoot, I want that. I want money coming out of my mailbox. That's great. You know, they would say things like, man, you'll be down to your last dime, and people will literally come and write you a specific check for the amount of money that your bills are that month. God's going to take care of you in these crazy ways. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I was 16. I remember being 16 and saying, I wonder if I tithe, will God give me a car? Man, I was tithing like crazy when I was 16. I was tithing everything. I'm tithing milk money, lunch money, whatever I had, I'm tithing because I want this car. And so unfortunately for me, I got into this mindset that giving was all about getting a blessing. It was this gimme, gimme type of thing where it's like, oh, I'm gonna do this because then God's gonna hook me up. God's gonna multiply that. And he's gonna do all these crazy things. And listen, there are times when I've been blessed in ways that are phenomenal that I could never, ever imagine financially, emotionally, spiritually. And I do believe that there is a blessing in giving, but here's what I've learned. Giving is the blessing. Giving itself is the blessing. There is a blessing. When I say to God, I recognize that you've given me 100% of all of my resources. And when I give 10% back to you, it's me recognizing that I don't need this extra 10% to close the gap. You're my provision. Giving is the blessing. And so God calls us and he's challenging us in the same way that he challenged them. He's saying, listen, I'm a father who expects my children to honor me with their life, with your life, in your relationships, and with your money. So my question to you is this. What would it be like if you actually took God up on that test? Not just financially, but in all of these places. What would it be like if actually for one week, for the next seven days, you said, I'm going to test God? Well, here's what I want to say to you. Instead of asking the question, I want to dare you. I want to dare you to test God in these areas of honoring him for the next seven days. You guys up for being dared? Here's how this is going to work. Actually, this is going to be historic week for two reasons for you. Obviously, Tuesday was historic, but this is going to be historic week at Crossroads because I'm actually going to ask you right now to take out your cell phones and turn them on. Come on, take them out. Take out your cell phones and turn them on. And as you turn them on, I want to hear ringers and all, like, your Britney Spears ringer, your ACDC ring, your Barry White ringer. I want to hear them all. So take your cell phones out. Everybody turn them on. And when you get them on, just kind of shine your light this way so I know. And just take a look. You can see all the, all the cell phones turning on. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a number up here. And if you want to really walk this out, if you really want to walk this out, I'm going to have you text this cell phone number. We're going to put that up. Text the word DARE right now to that number, 
9.5. Because of the benefit of technology, we've bought a texting package that will allow us to give you, through text message, five challenges over the next seven days. And these five challenges deal with ways that we can honor God with our life, we can honor God with our relationships, and we can honor God with our money. We're not going to ask you to move to India. It's not going to be like sell your car. These are going to be small things that you can do in the next 24 hours, but it'll be a way for you to put to the test what God is challenging all of us to do in terms of honoring him. So go ahead and text that word DARE to 95495, and then you'll get a response, and we'll start hearing all these rings. You're starting to hear it now as people kind of go through this process. I want to leave you, though, with one final thought, and this is one verse um, that I think really kind of ties together what we've talked about today because, you know, we're going into this reset journey in a couple of weeks, and what, what it's all about is we all have these assumptions about Jesus, and, and many of those assumptions are false, and they need to be reset and reoriented. And one of the assumptions I think I've had, and maybe you've had too, is that somehow when Jesus came on the scene, this Old Testament God, he kind of disappears, and he's no longer relevant. And when Jesus comes, there's not really this call or challenge to live a life that really honors God as Father. And I, and I want to show you two verses that I think really just kind of tie together how Jesus felt about this and the fact that this is not just Old Testament stuff, that this applies for today. You can keep texting as I do that. Um, but the first verse, I'd be willing to bet you, maybe most of you haven't seen before, or if you have, you've kind of go across it and, you know, it may not recall anything to you. But the second verse that I'm going to show you, I'd be willing to bet you everyone in here has heard these words. You may not have known they're in the Bible, but you've heard these words. Look at what Jesus says about what it means to honor God in John chapter 8. In verse 31, it says, he, he's saying to the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What he's saying in this verse, and that word hold, is the word abide or the word dwell. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, it is, it, there's a tension around this idea of honoring God. There's a tension. It's difficult. It means I have to adjust some things in my life. But what Jesus is saying is if you're willing to live in that tension, if you're willing to live in the tension of what it looks like to connect with God and to give him the best of your time and your energy, if you're willing to live in the tension of what it means to honor God in your intimate relationships, to walk away from those things that are dishonoring and trust that God's boundaries are ultimately for your good, if you're willing to live in the tension of that, Jesus says, then you're my disciples. Then you are followers. And then in verse 32, you've heard these words probably, but in context, I want you to see them. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hey, listen, this week, I know that many of these challenges are going to be difficult. You're going to read that text, and you're going to say, there's going to be a tension to follow through. You know, and what I want you to think about in those moments is a picture that I have of my father, um, when I was a kid, before I learned how to swim, my dad would often take me to swimming pools, and he knew how to swim, and so he'd, he'd have me with him. And, you know, it was funny how even though I had a healthy kind of fear of the water and just knew that I didn't have all that I needed to kind of be in the water by myself, I had this irrational courage when my dad was in the water with me. You know, just this irrational courage to jump up to the end and just, just dive off because my dad was in the water. And so this week, as you're living in the tension of following through on this, when it gets real tough, I want you to get this picture of God as a father who's in the water. And he's saying, hey, jump. I got you. I got you. These, these things, these boundaries that I've put in place to honor me, they're not to hurt you. They're to bless you. So jump. Jump. God's got you. And that's what this week is about. It's a practical way for all of us to walk this out 
Because God is a father who loves you and he's a father who expects his children to honor him because honoring him is always to our benefit. So we're gonna keep that text up for those of you who are still texting. And I'm just gonna wrap up with a quick word of prayer. God, I just pray that this week as we all live in this tension, that we would all have those moments where we just jump in the pool, where we make different choices in relationships, where we make different choices in how we spend our time or our resources, simply to say, I wanna know what it looks like to honor you. And God, even if someone is in here and they're not sure about who you are, I just ask that as they just simply follow through on these basic steps, that they begin to understand more of the type of God that you are and the kind of relationship you wanna have with them. So God, for all of us, pray that you help us to follow through on these dares. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.